Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're continuing, of course, our study. The lot, there's a lot of this. In this study, we've seen so much. The goal, of course, is that we want to be men and women of prayer, and we want to understand it. We want to maintain our fellowship. We put these up as the goals to understand prayer, what it's all about, you know, all the different kind of words for prayer and all those kind of things, and then realize the importance of prayer because we looked at the life of Christ, how important it was to him, how important it should be to us, and then we want to be men and women of prayer. And if, if, if we get nothing out of this study other than the fact that maybe you get a prayer book and you start praying and you remember to pray daily for people and then certain prayer requests to make them specific. And if, if we just do that as a church, we've, we, I think we've gained a lot. I uh, wanted you to know and understand how it fits together. Uh, last time, we'd have been, look, we looked at a lot of different subjects, but, but this one's about unanswered prayer. And we raised these questions, are there unanswered prayers? And then if you get God's answer, which is a wait, what do we do? We saw that last time. And then if God's answer is no, what we talked about, what are some reasons for a no answer? The, the first question is, are there unanswered prayer? We said that the answer is, no, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God's going to say yes or no or wait, and we saw that. And he could say all of those. And last time, we looked at, what if you get a no answer? So, and, and we looked at several things, and we looked at the first two, and then today we're going to look at the next three, and we'll see how that fits together. Uh, and and let's, let, let, me, let me raise a question. Think with me. So let's say there's a pastor, and he's praying, and he says, Lord, uh, give us more people. We, and they've got 250 coming on a Sunday morning. And he says, oh, Lord, give us, give us 1,000 people. Give, give us more people. Give us where we have to build on. Lord, we want to reach many people for Christ. We want people to know the grace message of salvation. God could say what? Yes, no, or wait, right? I mean, he could say all that. That seems like a pretty good prayer, doesn't it? Okay, what if the pastor said this? What if there's a pastor... And he says, Lord, we want at least a 1,000 people. Uh, we want people to know about our church, and we want people to know how, how good we are, and we, we want to become famous, and, and we want people to, to be a part of this church, and, and we want to build this church and so that we'll become famous not only in our community but throughout the world. How does that sound? It sounds a little different, doesn't it? And, and what's, what's the motive for the first one? We want more people to hear the grace message of salvation. What's the sec- motive for the second one? They want to sort of be famous or something. And if you're in James chapter 4, look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask what? With wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We looked this morning at the idea of wrong motive. Because we find this morning that we can see one of the, some of the reasons for God's answer, which is a no answer, is that maybe we ask for the wrong reason. And we'll talk about it as we go through it. I actually want to show you a place from the Scripture where Paul talks about people are doing things from the wrong motive. And so we'll see how that fits together. So when we pray, we can get a yes or a no or a wait answer. Uh, we get, we're so glad when we get a yes answer. Sometimes when it's a no answer, we talked about the fact that maybe it's just not the time and we just got to trust God. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's not God's timing at this point. Or maybe we're not ready or somebody else is not ready for what we've been praying for. And then we came to what if we get a no answer? You can tell it's no. And sometimes we said, if you get a no answer, what are some reasons? And we talked last week that, first of all, it could be it's just not God's will. 
And sometimes we can tell that. Sometimes like a door shuts, you say, I want to get into that school, you can't get that school. Or I want to get this particular job, you can't get that job. Something, you, you want to do something and, and, and it doesn't work out. And you say, okay, well, I, you know, I prayed about it and you know, I told God that's what I really wanted. And, and the, obviously the answer is no. And sometimes God's no. And you know, one of the things we have to realize when we get a no answer and when it's not God's will, we just have to trust him that what we thought might be the best thing probably isn't the best thing, and we just have to trust him because what we say is, I want this, and he says, you want that, but you don't understand. That's really not best for you. You can, you can see Joseph in prison. When, when Joseph got thrown into, into the prison there, you can see Joseph saying, Lord, I know this isn't your will for my life to be in this prison, but it was. And, and, and then what happened is God raised him up to be number two in all of Egypt, and later when his brothers, you know, they, they, said we, they were really worried because their dad had died, and now he, they thought Joseph would get them back for selling them into slavery, and they said, oh, by the way, when daddy was still alive, he said for us to tell you not to get, not to get us back. You know, which they're just covering everything. And then, uh, but Joseph says, no, 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 don't worry about it because you meant it for evil. But what? God meant it for good. Sometimes no answers. We think, oh, that's bad. I, I wanted that. And God says, no, 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 that's actually best. You just don't know about it yet. And so that's why I think the whole idea of God works all things together for good, you know, that we just have to trust him. I know in that passage, it's those who love him, those are called according to his purposes. But the idea there is that God's working all things. The second thing we saw was that there may be sin in our lives. And we don't always think about that. But in, in uh, Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He's basically saying if you're out of fellowship with God and you have sin in your life and you're doing things, that then when we lift up prayer requests, he's, he's not necessarily going to answer that because he's saying you've got wickedness in your heart. We put up last week Isaiah 59, and it says this. Uh, he, he can hear anything. He says God can hear anything. And he says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When it says God doesn't hear, it doesn't mean he can't hear you. It just means he's not listening to you to answer the prayer. So sometimes we can have sin in our lives, and he doesn't even get specific here. He just says when you have sin in your life, you're out of fellowship with God, and we may ask for certain things. And he's really saying to us, get back in the fellowship before you go on with these other things. And, of course, we know First John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And that's, that's why I love the passage. We've been doing uh, Romans chapter 6 on Wednesday nights in our class at SBI. And, and in SBI, about the bottom line is he, he, he doesn't tell you sin and confess it. He says don't sin. <laughs> now he says, he says, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body that you shall obey his lust. Don't present the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourself to God, those who are alive from the dead, and your members of instruments of righteousness to God. So he just says, don't go to the flesh, go to the spirit. And so we see that. But the bottom line is, if you've got sin in your life, he's not. He's not necessarily going to answer your prayer. I guess he could. He can do anything he wants to do, and he can do anything in your life that he chooses to do. And I'll tell you that God is such a gracious God. Uh, do we get what we deserve? No, we do not get what we deserve. We get the grace and the mercy of God. We do not want the justice of God. The justice of God was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. What we all deserve is to be separated from God forever. That's what we deserve because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None righteous, no, not one. Uh, we're wicked in that sense. But God in his grace and mercy poured out his justice 
on his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died in our place as the substitute, and now we get the grace and mercy of God. So we just say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Now, let's look. These next three, we're going to go through them fairly quickly, uh, fairly, uh, quickly this morning, is there all three of these reasons deal with some kind of sin or some kind of problem. And the first one is this, and it's, it's failure in relationships with others. We, can, we already saw in Matthew, when Jesus was doing what we call the Sermon on the Mount and the prayer, when he said, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Well, what if you've got a contrary relationship with somebody and you haven't dealt with it? That could be hindering your prayers. I want you to, to flip over to 1 Peter. You're in James. Flip just a few pages over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and look at verse 7 because the first one he's going to deal with is husbands and wives. Now, for most of us in this room, many of us in this room, married, husbands, wives, relationships, got those kind of things going, realize that your relationship with your spouse can affect you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He says, you, you husbands, in the same way, in the same way as wives are to be obedient and do the right things, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand her. As with someone weaker, meaning that she's, and, and, and if she's weaker, we're weak. Bottom line, he says, since she is a woman, She's different than you are. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You have to remember that when this was written, and even in certain parts of the world today, especially you go under Sharia law, women are, women are, are nothing. They're property. Even today. Well, at this time, so he's saying, listen, you, you don't treat your wife as property. You, don't, you, you give her, she's a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers, notice he says, do all this right so that your prayers will not be what? What does it say? Hindered, hindered. And so he's basically saying that if husbands, he's talking to the men here, if men are not living in the right way with their wives, if they're constantly causing problems or whatever, if they're not living in an understanding way, he's not showing her grace, all those kind of things, he says, be careful because your, your prayers will be hindered. And so uh, that's bottom line. And so when husbands and wives are not connected in the way they should be connected, prayers are hindered. There's another aspect there, and this is in Proverbs 21. If you, if you don't help other people, notice this. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. He's basically saying that if you're mistreating other people or you're not doing the right kind of things, and then you think you can go to God about anything, God will say, I'm not listening to you because you're not listening to them. And so this is pretty hard because we go through life as if the only thing that matters is us. And we've got to realize that what really matters is how we relate with other people, how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. That's really the key, especially in the whole prayer issue. And so one of the things he tells us is that if you're not right with your wife or with your husband, if you're not treating other people the way you should, be careful because your prayers may not be heard. It may be a no answer. He's he basically saying, get this right, and then we'll talk. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what God is saying. Get this right, and then we'll talk. And so we must show love and compassion to others. If we love and forgive, as he said in Matthew, then God forgives us, and we're in the fellowship. Here's the second one, which is actually the fourth one. This is D. We already saw A, B, C. This is D. And this is the wrong motive. We started with this just to show you about uh, wrong motives. In James chapter 4, verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. He says, you're asking, and you're not getting what you're asking for. Why? Because you're asking with the wrong motives. Now, the truth is this. Sometimes we understand our motives, sometimes we don't. 
right? I mean, the best you can. I mean, we're fallen people. And the best we can, especially when we're trying to do things for God, the best we can say is I'm trying with the correct motives. Like if I'm teaching up here today, my motive is to teach the Bible and love you and serve God. It is not, my motive is not that you'd think I'm a great teacher or, or you know, I'm something. That's not the motive. If that's the motive, there's problems. And uh, I remember I talked to a guy one time, and he was a pa- just learning as a pastor, and he keeps saying, when I go up there, I just want, I want everybody to think of I said, listen, you don't even think about you. It's not about you. You're going up to teach the Bible. The Bible's the authority. You're not the authority. You're just a messenger. Don't worry about what the people think about you in the sense of did you look right and did you say it all perfectly. You just go up there and teach the Bible, and don't worry about all the rest of that mess. And what, so what is the motive for what we do? And I remember uh, uh, Stan Toussaint was a professor at Dallas Seminary, one of the great ones. He passed away not too long ago. And he said, you know, that about motives, he says, you know, the Bible says God knows us. He knows we're just dust. I mean, we can be doing the best motive we can, but deep down, I mean, does anybody ever have an exactly pure motive on anything we ever do? Who knows? But anyway, this part about motive says, why do we do what we do? Is it to serve God? Is it for his glory? Or is it something about us? I want you to see that he, he's saying you can ask with the wrong motive. You can want something with the wrong motive. You can even do something with the wrong aspect. And I want to show you this to, this to you. You don't have to turn there because I've got it written for you. This is in Philippians. This is Paul writing. And look what he says. He says, some, some to be sure, he's talking about the fact that the gospel, he's in prison. He's in prison. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's in Rome in prison, and he's writing to them, trying to encourage them. And he's actually said, even when I'm in prison, the message of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. That's what he's saying. So he's going, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Even though I'm in prison, the message is being proclaimed. He says, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. He says, some people are proclaiming the message of Christ, but they're doing it from envy and strife. See, you may not think about this, but there were some people who were jealous of Paul. Paul was an apostle of Christ. He had the authority. And some of the people in the Corinthian church, they actually made fun of him. There were other people who said, Paul's really not an apostle. He wasn't with Jesus. And, and, they, and so he says that some people are actually preaching the message of Christ from envy and strife. They were envious of Paul and some others and strife. But some do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. The ones that are doing it goodwill, they're doing it out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. He says, they know I'm in prison because I stood for the gospel, and they're preaching that message. He said, the former, the ones out of envy and strife, the former are proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from what? Pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. They're getting to do it, and they're saying, we're getting to proclaim the message, and Paul's not. And so we're better, we're, we're getting to do things, and Paul's not. He says, they were thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Since I couldn't get out and do it, they're doing it, and they're saying, and he goes on to say, it doesn't matter the motive. He's not saying it doesn't matter the motive. He says the one thing that matters is the gospel's being proclaimed. Now, these people proclaiming it with the wrong motive, they're, they got problems. And so he says some are doing it selfish ambition rather than pure motives. Sometimes we pray with selfish ambitions rather than pure motives. 
And the book of James said, be careful, because you're, you're asking for the wrong reason. You're asking for the... If I said, oh, Lord, let's build this church to 2,000 so that I'll be famous, that's the wrong reason, isn't it? What if we said, Lord, if you want to bring 2,000 people in here, that'd be fantastic, so that Jesus Christ will be lifted up and glorified and the grace message will go to that many more people, and then they can spread it out. And I mean, that's the right motive. And I, I mean, I, I, I talked to pastors in the early days because... I was in a diff. We were in a denomination, and some people in the denomination back in the 80s and 90s, they would be a pastor for a couple of years in a church, and then look for a bigger church. It didn't matter how good this one was going; they wanted something bigger because the bigger meant you were better. The more people you could get. In fact, the first question most would ask: How many of y'all running now? How many are you running now? What difference does it make how many you running now? You know. Now, do you want? It would be great to have a thousand people. If a thousand people were hearing, being taught, growing, touching lives, you know. But so that's the idea, the motive. And so selfish ambition. Look, look at this. This is Proverbs sixteen two. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. That's why even Paul wrote over in Corinthians. He said, "I, I judge nothing before it's time." And he says, "And the best that I can tell, I'm doing everything." the right way, but it, I don't know, so one day I'll stand before Christ and he'll let me know. Aren't, don't we all feel that way? We're saying I'm, we're, everything we're doing, doing the best we can for the glory of God. That's what we're going to try to do. We want to live for him, but we don't know until you stand before Jesus Christ. But I guarantee you, for many of you in this room, he's going to say, well done. Your hearts, you just all you care about is living for the Lord and touching lives for Christ. And, and that doesn't mean we're not selfish. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. But as a whole, you'd say, I just want my life to count for Christ. I just want to go where he wants me to go. I want to do whatever he wants me to do. So we've got that one, the, the, the motive part. There's one last one, which we've talked about before, and that's not believing. That's just not, not trusting God. And that's the James passage where he says, but let him ask in faith. If you're going to ask a prayer, ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. He's tossed back and forth by the wind. That man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord. He basically says, when you're not believing, should you expect that God would answer your prayer? It's just, it's, 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 uh, it's, that's the way it is. I, it always amazed me, is, and we're going to get to it in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus comes down uh, for, with some of the guys, and there's a whole crowd waiting for him. And as soon as they see him, they all come running up to Jesus. And, and he's wondering what's going on, of course. And this man comes, and he says, I came here, and I had my son, and he's got this demon in him, and it throws him in the fire and throws him in the water, and he falls down on the ground, and nobody can do anything about it. And Jesus said, how long has this been going on? He said, since he was a boy. And then he says to Jesus something like, uh, if you can, could you do something? And Jesus goes, if I can. Of course I can. He says, where is your belief? And the guy said, well, help my unbelief. Isn't that the way we are sometimes? We say, oh, Lord, we want this to happen. Well, do you think it's going to happen? No. Why? Well, it would just be amazing if it happened. He can do anything, can he not? So when we lift up prayer requests, I mean, there may be people that you're praying for that, that they, don't, they don't know Christ. Don't quit. Luke 18.1, don't faint. You never know. You say, oh, that person's never going to trust Christ. They're so hardened. You never know. You never know. You never know. 
Ask and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. This is what we want. But always say, I always say, if the Lord wills. People say, you going to wrestle a match? I said, Lord willing, because I don't count on anything. Because I don't know if I got the next second, right? Do you? We don't know what we got. We, we can make plans. He says, if you make plans, say, I'm going to go to this town and come back. But if the Lord wills, I'll go do this. And so we, we give it to the Lord, and we believe that he answers prayers, and we lift up our prayer requests. And it, it could be a no. So what have we seen? We've seen, that first of all, that there seems, there seems things to be unanswered, but it's, he always answers. It's either yes, no, or wait. And when we get a yes answer, it seems like, oh, yeah, everything's good. When we get a no answer, we say everything's bad, but it may not be. It may be he just says that's not best for you. Sometimes we get a wait answer, and we want to say, why do I have to wait? And he says, because you're not ready yet, or somebody else is not ready yet, or it's not right time. And, and we just have to trust him. So, so when somebody says it seems to be unanswered, it's not really unanswered. It, just, it may be a no. And when you get an unanswered or a no answer, so you might speak, we call it unanswered, but answer is no. When you get a no answer, why? Why could you get a no answer? Well, it could be because it's not God's will for your life. You just think it is. You, you want it to be, but God knows what's better. Or sometimes it is sin in our lives. And that we're doing things that are, that are wrong. And he's saying, get that uh, fixed first. Or sometimes it's failure in relationships, husband and wives to the poor, other people in our relationships with people. If we're not in the proper fellowship with them. Uh, and let, let me just say this. We've talked about this before. You, uh, and we're going to continue to see this in the Gospel of Matthew. He's gonna, he's gonna, later on, Peter's going um, uh, to come to him and say, uh, how often should I forgive somebody? Seven times? That's coming later on. And, of course, the, the, the norm that day was three. If you, you know, somebody sinned against you once, you forgave them. If they sinned against you twice, you forgave them. If they sinned against you three times, you forgave them. If they sinned against you four times, you didn't forgive them. So Peter, like, doubled it and added one to it and said, what about seven? He thought Jesus would go, wow, you're way up there. Jesus said, no, not seven. Seven times 70. That means every time. And so the truth is this. In our relationships with other people, we got to be in fellowship with them. Now, I mentioned this. Uh, one other time, is sometimes you can't make somebody be in fellowship with you. I mean, you can be in fellowship with them. You can forgive them. You can do. They may not have anything to do with you. You can't control that. All you can do is from your side. Okay. So then, failure in relationships, wrong motives. You, you know, for the wrong reasons, and then unbelief. So let me end it because I, I think we're past time. But here's the application: when we get a no answer. May we, you know, we, it may be, okay, it's just not God's will for our lives, but it may be examine our lives to see if there is some sin, if there's something blocking something, and then, then that way we deal with that. Uh, sometimes you just get a good, you just get a no, and I'm going to tell you, when you get a no, and it's a real no, you just say, thank you, Lord, I know that whatever you're doing is actually best, even though it doesn't seem like it, even though it doesn't seem like it. It's just, it's got to be best. So sometimes it may be sin, and so we deal with that.